You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. All right, all right. If you could find your seats, we're going to get started this morning. Share your hugs, that's good. One of the most common themes throughout all of literature and storytelling is this idea of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Even last night, uh, we have movie night in the Mio household on Saturday nights to end our Sabbath. That's Clark's favorite part of the week. I'm working on him loving other things than just movies. But uh, we watched Moana because my daughter had never seen it yet. But really, Moana, like many other stories, is just one long pilgrimage, right? The main character of the story has to overcome some kind of conflict and hopefully come out victorious, if it's Disney at least, right? And with a happy ending. But pilgrimage, it's this common theme that you see throughout all of literature and storytelling. Over the last couple of months, we've also been on this pilgrimage with Jesus. We've been looking at Jesus' life in different forms and ways. We've seen his miracles. We've seen his teachings. We've seen him interact and call people to himself. We've seen him face conflict against Satan in the wilderness. We've been on this pilgrimage with Jesus. And, and really the gospel of Luke, which we're going to look at today, is just one long pilgrimage to Jerusalem where God's presence was supposed to be, where they were supposed to meet God in the temple. And Luke is just one long story saying Jesus as he continued to walk towards Jerusalem. Pilgrimage. But also today, we're celebrating two people, Elaine and Cody, that are being baptized as they, and many, yeah, right, come on. As they have been on this pilgrimage, they, this is a significant moment today of them even starting and making it more cement, uh, making it more uh, significant and uh, in this monumental moment of saying, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus from this point forward through baptism. And so I have this great task today, and you can be praying for me, to try to connect the story in the Gospel of Luke of the triumphal entry to baptism. I think we can do it, though, all right? I think we can do it. So if you have a Bible, could you turn to Luke chapter 19? We've been in Luke, actually, uh, 15 through 19 the last couple weeks. Uh, Nate Hughes did a wonderful sermon on the prodigal son in Luke 15. Last week, if you did a scattered Sunday with us and you met with some people, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus. And then this week, we're looking at the story of the triumphal entry, which is in Luke chapter 19. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read three different sections of it. I'm going to pause for each section, giving one insight that connects with this vision and beauty of what baptism is. Now, some of you aren't being baptized today, right? Just two of you are. Just two of you are being baptized. The rest of us, maybe some of you have already been baptized. Some of you maybe never been baptized before. But the beauty of baptismal services like this is it both reminds us of what God has been doing in our lives. We get to reflect back on our own baptism if you've been baptized before. And you might look back and be like, man, that baptism wasn't significant. Or I didn't even know what it meant. It was still, you still were baptized. You were still brought into the water and came out to new life. So you get to remember back. And then for those who maybe haven't been baptized, it's a service of invitation to consider maybe what's preventing you from identifying with Jesus. Um, even uh, as we were processing this week with the two folks that are being baptized, like that's part of what happened is happening here today is watching others be baptized and reflecting on, hey, what is the Spirit doing in my own heart and my life so that I might identify with Jesus as well? So Luke chapter 19, 
I'm going to read three sections. Let me start with verse 28. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 36. 28 through 36. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Remember what I said, this pilgrimage. He's, he's been moving towards Jerusalem, the whole story of Luke. Luke, in many ways, is ending in Jerusalem. And then the book of Acts, which is Luke's second book that he wrote, is going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So he's going towards Jerusalem. Verse 29. As he approached, I don't even know how to say this word, Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Let's pause there. Here's a question I have for you that maybe will feel unrelated, but trust me, it relates to what we're talking about here. What would you say are some of like the core identity markers of our culture? Like what are the things that people wear, people put on their social media, people have that doesn't have, you don't even need words to describe what they mean. When somebody sees it as an identity marker, it immediately brings an ideology or a vision of the, of the good life. On Facebook even right now, I, I'm not on much on Facebook, although I get sucked in every once in a while. Do you guys ever have that problem where you just start scrolling through your Facebook page? Oh, that old friend from high school I haven't seen for 15 years. They just had a baby or something like that. Anyways, on Facebook, your profile picture, you can like have different like uh, backgrounds or borders to it that signify different things, different identity markers. I want you to turn to somebody around you. What are some identity markers in our culture, whether it's an item an icon, a status symbol that when you see it, you know immediately what it means or what it represents. Oh, that person is wearing this, or that person has this, or that person is doing this. This is what it means. Ready, set, go. Hopefully you had a chance to think of maybe an identity marker that shapes, uh, when people see it, it shapes the identity of the person that they're, uh, that's wearing it or that has it in some way. We have these things, these symbols. Yeah, give me one. Yes. Yeah, a hashtag. Isn't it like an identity mark in our culture? Absolutely. Yeah. A suit gives a significant, like you have significance. You're important in some way. Absolutely. We have these different markers. Uh, and what is happening in this passage here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, is there's a specific word that's repeated four times. It's the word cult. Like Luke is trying to like say, he's just saying cult over and over again. Like he's trying to hint to you an identity marker of who Jesus is claiming he is. If you were a first century Israelite and you had memorized the Old Testament and you had been waiting for the promised Messiah, the king that was to come, you'd have these different prophecies in mind in the background of your, of your thinking. And as you see a cult, you might hear these words from Zechariah 9, 9 that says this, Rejoice, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim this king peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. 
If you're hearing this passage and you see the word cult, you're thinking of this passage here in Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is not coming to Jerusalem to take his place as king. Rather, as he comes in Jerusalem, the, reckon, the world is recognizing that he already is king. In many ways, what's happening in this passage is really a second exodus. The second exodus. The first exodus that God had delivered his people from Egypt under the tyranny of Pharaoh. And now the second exodus that God was going to deliver his people again through this coming king, through the tyranny of Rome and the emperor. For Cody and Elena, they're getting baptized today. Like the good news of what's happening here in the water is they're reminding themselves of the second exodus that has happened. They're reminding themselves as they get into the water that they identify with Jesus' deliverance, God's rescuing, as they go into the water and experience Jesus' death and come out and are raised to new life. They're following that pattern that we see all throughout the Old Testament of God's people going through water and experiencing from slavery to freedom from being uh, under the oppression of someone else to now being liberated to serve God and Him only. The second exodus is happening here in Luke chapter 19. For you, if you've been baptized or you haven't, here's two questions just to reflect on even just this week. Like, what are ways that you've experienced the deliverance of God from sin and brokenness, that you're walking in freedom? Could you tell a story of your own life of the way God has freed you in some way? But then two, are there places in your life you're currently still enslaved? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel like you need help? That God has offered to you deliverance and freedom, but for whatever reason you haven't taken it. For whatever reason he hasn't moved and delivered you in this moment, but there's hope that he will in the future. The second exodus is happening. Let's continue reading here in Luke chapter 19. Verse 37 says this, And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Then notice this, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. This past week, I've been listening to this audiobook uh, about intentional fathering or inten- the intentional fatherhood. And uh, it's been a really good book. I have some really cool ideas for our congregation for what it looks like to raise men and for boys to become men. I've been trying to set up my son Clark the last couple of nights to say, Hey, buddy, there's a challenge coming for you in a couple of years. You're going to become a man. It's going to take a lot of hard work. He's like, Last couple of nights ago, he's like, Dad, every night I dream about manhood. It's like, <laughs> like, this is great. I might have started a little too early. He's only five, but that's the key. You've got to build the anticipation. But he's five, and this week I've been thinking about this reality. of He's almost, in many ways, a third of the way done with being in my home. It's gone like that. I got, I got maybe 12, 13 more years, and then he's off to doing whatever. Like, there's a good reality that I could miss what's right in front of me. Like I could miss it. That tomorrow I could wake up and feel, oh, he's 17 years old and I have done nothing intentionally to raise him to become a man. You can miss it, right? You can miss the thing that's happening right in front of you. 
whether it's because you're distracted or you're fed up with work or you're too busy or you're just constantly moving from thing to thing, you can miss the things that are right in front of you. And that's what happened with the Pharisees. They missed it. Jesus was right there, the promised Messiah, right in front of the people that knew the law and the Bible the best, the people that had all the prophecies memorized, the people that were leading others to encounter God missed the king when he came. Why did they miss him? Their expectations were all messed up, right? Yeah, some of the prophecies made sense, but they watched Jesus' life and he didn't seem like he interacted with the right people and he didn't seem to have his kingdom be around the right kinds of people that you would want. They missed it because their expectations were wrong. Their expectations were off. I'm going to have you process a question here with some people around you again. What about the nature of Jesus' kingdom is hard for you to accept or realize is true because it's so counterintuitive to the world that we live in? So Jesus' kingdom is, says that the first will be last. Those at the margins will be brought to the center. Those who are meek will inherit the earth. Like think of the Beatitudes of all those, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst. Like this is such a different picture of a kingdom than the kingdoms that you and I are a part of on a regular basis. What's the hardest for you to accept? Like when you think about Jesus and his teachings in the kingdom, what's the hardest part to say, I just, I know that Jesus said that that's true, but it's hard for me to believe that the kingdom actually works that way because the experience I have in the world is not that. Turn to somebody around you. Where have your expectations of Jesus maybe been off? Jesus says some really hard things. His kingdom does not make sense in many ways to the kingdoms of our world. The Pharisees missed it. But the good news of this morning with Cody and Elena getting baptized is they recognize who Jesus is. They will both tell you they don't have it all figured out. They don't have all their questions answered. They have a long way to go on their pilgrimage. But what they do know is that Jesus has died. He has resurrected and he has offered them new life. And this symbol of water, this cleansing, as Elena said this week, it's a picture of cleansing, is so true. We have this symbol that we've been given of water, of how God has welcomed us to himself in Jesus. And yeah, we have a lot of things to figure it out. And yeah, the kingdom of God doesn't make sense all the time. And it's hard for us to comprehend what's going on, but they recognize the king has come. And we celebrate today that they recognize what's happening right in front of them. Would we too recognize Jesus' love and kindness towards us? Both looking back on our baptism that maybe happened years ago, or longing for his coming again, or desire to be baptized in the future. Let's read the last part of our passage. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Notice Jesus' response when he comes into the city. It says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. 
earlier this week, I, uh, I did a rare thing that happens in my life. I watched a movie. I watched a documentary, though. Okay, so not a real movie, all right? That's different because you're learning something in documentaries. All right, that's kind of how I work. But it was this really interesting documentary called The Work. And it's about these prison inmates in this maximum security prison in the middle of California that have started, along with some facilitators, a four-day intensive therapy program where they invite men from the outside of the prison to come inside and have this joint therapy session between prisoners and those who are living maybe in the town nearby. It's crazy. Like the, You have to watch it. I have some really cool ideas of how to maybe uh, use it as an opportunity for further conversations. But in the documentary, uh, there's a story. It starts with a guy named Kiki. Kiki is serving 17 years for murder and robbery. And he's sitting next to these people that are just living just down the street. And they start this session, and, and the point of the, the therapy program is in really ways to deal with the betrayals that these men have faced and felt. And so Kiki begins to start, and they circle all around him, and he stands in the middle, and he starts to explain some of the ways he's been hurt in his life. And the two things that come up to him for him is, one, he lost his sister. His sister died. And two, he hasn't been able to hug his mom. He lost his sister. And he hasn't been able to hug his mom. And he's like, I have this armor that I carry, this armor that I carry that I cannot be sad. I'm not allowed to show tears. And I carry this armor with me because I do not want to be weak. And this other prisoner, his name is Vegas. He walks to the center and he locks eyes with him. He says, take me there with you. Take me to the sadness. Don't, don't hold it in. Take me there with you. You won't get hurt. You won't get hurt. Take me there with you. She's gone. She's gone. Immediately, he like, the armor begins to undo. They have one of the facilitators he's like trying to loosen his jaw because he's like holding so tightly. And he just begins to weep. And there's all these grown men around him and he's falling to the ground and the other prisoner has him and he's weeping uncontrollably. And then the, weep, the weeping turns into this anger, this like unbelievable frustration. They're like having to hold him down. They're like, so he doesn't hurt anybody. He's like unbelievable from weeping to unbelievable anger, weeping anger. I mean, this is part of the grieving process, right? When you're trying to work through something that's been really hard. Weeping and anger but then ending with hugs and connection. Men do some really interesting things. They can get in a big fight and then like be best friends afterwards. I don't know how that works. I mean, I guess I do kind of, but I haven't really been in too many fights in my life. But weeping and anger. Notice in the story, this is what Jesus does when he sees the brokenness of his world in the city. He's in weeping. Like he is weeping over Jerusalem, that the destruction that's coming. And then he's led into righteous anger, flipping tables because people are abusing God's house. What do you think when God looks at your life and he looks at, and Cody and Elena, as they're thinking today about baptism, what do you think, what do you think God's response has approached to you and your own brokenness and your own, uh, the stuff that you carry? Is he indifferent? Is he passive? Does he look the other way? Is he frustrated? Is he not there? Or maybe in this moment, in this story, the invitation for us to see that Jesus looks at our lives and he looks at his world and his first response is unbelievable weeping over its brokenness. Unbelievable weeping. But then from the weeping, 
he moves to righteous anger. And notice what he's doing here with the temple courts. He's not just in there trying to make a scene or trying to make a, a big deal of um, how strong he is or something like that. No, he's moving out these money changers so that people can access his father. He's making a way for people to come in to encounter God himself. In his weeping, he's led to action, healthy, right, just anger to make a way for people to encounter God. And even here in the story where it says the, the temple's gonna be destroyed, that sounds really bad news, right? All the temple's being destroyed. But Jesus said, hey, destroy the temple and in three days I will rebuild it. That I'm the temple now. And the good news of the, of the temple's destruction is that now the temple has been sent out. Jesus is on the move. And not only are people welcome to come to him, but God is on a mission to seek and save the lost. That with the temple being destroyed, it's wherever now God's presence is where people can encounter him. They encounter Jesus as he's been sent out. For Cody and Elena today, so much of your stories is not just that today you're recognizing that Jesus is king and that he died and rose from the grave, but you're recognizing that God has been seeking and trying to save you long before you ever recognized him. Like he's been on a mission in ways that you don't even know, that you won't even comprehend, that being present in your life through other people, through experiences, that you've been able to encounter God. And maybe even just right now, you're starting to put those pieces together. And for all of us, God's been on a mission to seek and save the lost. He's come after you long before you've come after him. The second exodus has happened. Jesus is king. You're gonna go through the waters of baptism to new life. You recognize today that this is really the king of the world. You didn't miss it like the Pharisees. And then third, when Jesus looks at your stories, he both is weeping over the brokenness, but he's moved to find a way for you to come to him. He puts things out of the way so that you can come to him and receive his forgiveness and his kindness and then be sent into new life. That's what he's doing in baptism. And so we're going to practice baptism right now with these two. I'm going to have um, Elena, you want to come up first. I'm going to get Chris from the, if someone could grab Chris from the kids room. He's running over there. I think maybe I didn't give him a good enough warning. But Elena's going to be baptized first today. You guys know the drill. As Elena comes out of the water, we're going to celebrate because this is an initiation, right, into the community of God. That As she comes out of the waters of baptism, she's welcomed into our family. And then she's sent out to be an ambassador of good news. So that's what we're going to do here in a moment. And then Cody and Elaine are going to lead us in communion as well today as we share the Lord's table together.